the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're so glad to have you both on the radio broadcast, the podcast, uh, and um, the the Harvest website. We're delighted to have you with us uh, today. And let me just remind you that The Kingdom and Its Stories is a series of interviews with people who can not give us a model to follow, but to be an inspiration of ideas that God might use to help us figure out what we can do to be Jesus' hands and feet. And in our broadcast today, we have Lisa. And Lisa, you say your last name is Scarpinato, which is a wonderful Italian name, which I understand from what you told me yesterday, means shoemaker. It does. That's what I've been told. So, yes, it's great to be here with you, Pastor Bob. We're glad to have you. So glad to have you. And and Lisa, start us out by, by telling us who you are. What's the elevator speech of who is Lisa? Well, I'm a, um, lifelong follower of Jesus. I've lived in Arizona for 50, over 50 years. I'm a wife, a mother, and I am the uh, co-founder and CEO of a ministry nonprofit called Kitchen on the Street. Oh, that was, that was good. Thank that, you. That, that, was only, that was only two floors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yes, there's lots more. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure there is. Well, tell us, Tell us a little bit of the lots more. What is Kitchen on the Street and what does it do? And and then tell us, how did you, how did this happen? How did Kitchen on the Street happen? Kitchen on the Street is a ministry, a nonprofit organization uh, that my husband and I started about 16 years ago. And the primary purpose is to meet the nutritional needs of food insecure kids in our uh, city and state so that they can uh, live healthier lives and be a success in the classroom. So that started 16 years ago when our daughter was 12, and um, my husband and I really felt like she should um, really get into the community. We should be involved more than just volunteering through our church, but we should really become citizens of the community. So we started to uh, look around for nonprofit organizations that we could serve at, and what we found is that a majority of them want kids to be 16 or older, and she was only 12. So this presented us with a problem. So uh, we had some hit and miss opportunities, but nothing on a regular basis. So we really felt like people 
of faith, like God was calling us to serve the community. So we really started to press in and pray about who we could serve and how we could do that as a family. And uh, so we started to meet with different people and we invited some folks over to our house for dinner. It was a husband and wife and daughter. And um, the husband was a, a charter school principal in the neighborhood I grew up in in Glendale. So okay. as, as we kind of you know got closer to the dinner, I really felt like God was wanting me to ask him about school. How was it going? How was that community in that neighborhood? So during the course of dinner, I said, hey, how's your school year going? And this big brawny man got really quiet. He looked down at his dinner plate, he pushed it away, and he just started to cry. Tears just started to roll down his face. Wow. Wow. And after he composed himself, he shared with us that he'd been in the school cafeteria recently during lunch. And uh, while all the other kids were finishing lunch, throwing stuff away and leaving, one girl wasn't. She caught his eye, and he watched her go walk right up to a big black trash can and reach in and take food that other kids had taken bites out of, and she put it in her pockets. And basically what he found out later was that um, she came from um, a very low income family. She had a brother and sister. So there were three kids in the family because their income was so low. They got to eat breakfast and lunch at school, but they didn't eat on weekends. So this young lady as a second grader decided that she could solve the family food problem by collecting food out of the trash at lunch and taking it home for the weekend. This was a second grader. Yeah. In Glendale, Arizona. In a charter school? Uh, yes. A charter school. Yep. So this broke my heart. I'm having this. I have the same experience and reaction that you are. And my husband and I exchanged glances. And, and, you know, later we talked about it. We both realized that at that point, it was like God had dropped this opportunity on our, our dinner table. We had been praying. Who can we serve? How can we serve as a family? And it had been brought right to our dinner table. So we had a choice to make. Were we going to, you know, act on what we saw or are we just going to let it go? So my husband, being the great shoemaker that he is uh, from New Jersey, <laughs> uh, he did some research that night and he said about an hour after our friends left, he said, okay, we have a hunger problem in our city. I think we should start a nonprofit to help these kids. I think we should call it Kitchen on the Street. And I think we should start tonight. What do you think? <laughs> He's a doer. He's a doer. Absolutely. Um, and so that's that's what we ended up doing. Uh, we started the process that night uh, to form uh, the organization and then ultimately uh, get nonprofit status. And we started to educate ourselves on how to assist these kids um, from a nutrition standpoint. So we have a few different programs, but the biggest one is it's called Bags of Hope. We partner with schools. They identify kids that show up on Monday showing signs of not having eaten over the weekend. And then they are provided with a bag of hope. How, 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 do you, how do you tell a kid hasn't eaten over the weekend? Well, Bob, I bet you've never been hangry before, right? Oh, <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> so those are some symptoms. Um, you know, angry, we have a difficult, difficult ability to control ourselves, to focus, to um, actually sit down and be calm. And so if right. you can imagine that, in, like we're adults, so we're kind of conditioned to not behave that way. Um, or can or curb it, but children aren't. And so when they show up on Monday in a classroom, and that's the situation, parent, uh, teachers generally know that that's the issue. And if you can imagine, it's not just that child's education that's get disrupted, it's the entire classroom's education that's disrupted because of that. Yeah, wow. So when they're identified, they're put into our program. And uh, on Fridays, they receive a bag of hope that they pick up at the school nurse's office, it's put in their um, backpack so no one knows that it's there. And they take mm. it home and they get to eat the contents over, over the weekend so that they have the right nutrition, nutritional 
um, uh, makeup in their body to come back to school Monday and then they're ready to learn. Uh, that's an unbelievable story, Lisa. Wow. I, I just get chills, you know. We serve I, an unbelievable God. You just yes. never know what you're going to get called for. So my exactly. first warning would be, be careful what you pray for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, t- uh, how many of these bags do you do you distribute? On a- right now, uh, we have about 30 different partner schools around the Valley. So we have 2,000 kids enrolled in the program. So two, um, two th- did, I, did I hear that right? You 2,000, two, yes. 2,000 kids. And there are more that need it, quite honestly. Um, and, and we're not the only organization doing it. As far as I know, we're the only organization faith-based that's doing it. Okay. Um, so we have a prayer team of people that pray for the, the children and the families that are part of this program. And we so, believe but that but as difference. far as the other kids at school are concerned, these kids are incognitos as far as being involved in your program. Right. I mean, There's no, no, nobody knows um, about it. They just go to the nurse um, on Friday and get food for the weekend. Yep. That's how it works. 2,000. 2,000. Yes. How, how, how many meals is that a year? <laughs> It's a lot. We're okay. um, we're uh, at the 16 year mark, and we've served close to four million meals in the 16 years. Well, amazing! Wow. Uh, absolutely amazing. Well, Lisa, how do you fund this? I mean, th- <laughs> I don't. A- God does. <laughs> okay. Well, tell us how He does it. Well, um, in Arizona, uh, we have a dollar for dollar tax credit. So, Kitchen on the Street is an organization that qualifies for that. So, anyone can direct their tax dollars to us um, in, you know, certain percentages, and they can find that information on our website or contact us directly. But we have um, lots of churches that support our, our mission. Uh, we have, um, we apply for grants from a variety of different um, foundations. And then we have some corporations that have been incredibly faithful over the years. And I'm not sure they even knew how much uh, they were playing a role in God's plan uh, for this, um, but they've, they've just been phenomenal. Well, so, do you, you have a facility that um, where you pack these lunches? And We do, yes. It's uh, just off the 101 freeway at Carefree, I mean at Cave Creek, so Northeast Valley. We, okay. um, If people are interested in volunteering as a group or individually, they can visit our website. It's kitchenonthestreet.org, and we have information there. But we basically bring in a group of 25 to 30 people at a time. It's about a t- two-hour process. Uh, we share a little kitchen on the street history, a little uh, hunger in Arizona history, and then they pack bags and um, and understand where they go and how they get distributed to kids and what a difference it makes. We have found um, in reviewing uh, and comparing reading and math scores with students before they were in our, our Bags of Hope program and then after, their reading scores increased by 12% and their math scores increased by 26%. How much? Their math scores increased by 26% and their reading scores increased by uh, 12%. And that's really significant because I don't know if you know this or not, but 70% of fourth graders in the state of Arizona do not read at the grade level. Yeah, the, the, the figure that impresses me the most because of my own background is um, the math score. 26, 25% is a big jump. Just from eating. Just from eating. Yeah. Now, if you could increase your um, your job performance by 25% just from eating, wouldn't you just eat more? I would. 
I get a raise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it is really significant. Um, it, it, you know, there are a variety of other um, uh, results that come from it. Um, but, but the academics we feel are extremely important because it's not only good for that child, it's good for the community. It's good for our state as a whole um, from an economic standpoint. Um, but it also is good from uh, their body's a temple and getting them that opportunity for it to be fueled properly, mentally and physically, we feel like is part of God's plan. Oh, man, Lisa, this is so exciting. <laughs> and so people can volunteer. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Learn more about what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us some stories of the results that, you know, that, they get, that, that give a little color, not little, but a lot of color to what you're telling us. You know, our Bags of Hope program are distributed through schools, so we have a limited opportunity to meet those students. We have some other programs that we have met um, folks in, and so I'll probably, hopefully, have the chance to share all of that with you. Um, but um, one of our my, my most favorite stories and experiences from Bags of Hope was we got a phone call um, a few years ago from a lady, and she said, oh, my husband's turning 50, and we don't want any gifts. We want to um, We want to collect food for your organization. Would that be okay? I said, sure. And she asked what food we needed. And I told her and she told me when the party was. And so um, she called me after the party and said, hey, can we meet so we can give you the food? And I said, absolutely. At the time, we didn't have a facility. We were just operating out of our house. So um, I couldn't really invite her over. That seemed kind of weird. So I just said, oh, I'll meet you, you know, in the grocery store parking lot. at such and such a um, corner. And she said, okay. And I knew she couldn't miss us because our van has a big wrap on it. So it okay. says kitchen on the street. It's really clear. So I got there that morning and um, pulled out, uh, you know, far into the parking lot. There were no other cars around me and sat there and waited. And um, eventually a car pulled up and the, the front doors opened and the husband and wife uh, got out. And then the back door opened and a little boy, I would say probably third or fourth grade got out and he ran past the parents and he came up to the van. And I don't know if, you've ever tried to hug a vehicle. I haven't, I didn't know it was possible, but (laughs) this young man did it. He put his arms out and he just rubbed the van, especially where the the logo was. And he said, Oh, kitchen on the street. I just love this. And I was (laughs) yeah, quite taken back. Okay. Um, And afterwards I found out that, um, that these, this husband and wife were foster parents to this young man and they had taken him in right before uh, the husband had a birthday. And that was because the charter school that he went to had to turn his father over to CPS because he kept showing up um, under the influence to pick his child up. And so this young man, because of his circumstances had been in the kitchen on the street bags of hope program and he knew about it. So that's why he liked it so much. Oh, wow. but when he went, when he went to the foster family, um, he sat them down and he said, okay, here's the thing. No matter what happens, I go to school on Friday. Cause that's when I get my food for the weekend. And their hearts were like broken. They, they kind of understood the story then. Mm-hmm. And they said, honey, you don't need that anymore. And he said, oh yes, I do. That that's all I need is I have to have my food for the weekend. <laughs> So clearly made a difference in his life. And um, we were so um, humbled that this family would want to support this ministry. Um, But it was it was clearly close to them having Um, this young man in their house. So that was a great blessing to us. Once in a while, we get to see the fruit. uh, And and that definitely was. Well, with 2000 kids, I'm sure you see a lot of fruit. But before we go ahead, I just want to remind our viewers there were listening to and watching the kingdom and its stories. Uh, 
in which we interview people um, that can inspire us to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that we could do? Not to copy what they do. Um, Lisa, I don't think I could ever copy what you and your husband have been doing, um, but it's wonderful as an inspiration to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me how you can use my hands and feet as yours. And so thank you for being with us. Um, I'm I'm really curious. At the beginning of our interview, you you said something that, that really um, made me kind of set up in my mind. And that was, we as a family were thinking, how can we become a part of this community? Where did you get that worldview? Did that come from your church? Did you grow up with that? Because I don't see a lot of people in our churches that really have that attitude. And so it's, I, where did that come from in your guys' lives? Um, probably a, a lot of uh, places, but ultimately God. Um, different backgrounds my husband and I had in growing up in uh, in the faith. Um, but I think um, for me, I went to church majority of my life. And um, a lot of that time I was a bench warmer, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I do. I went in and, and that's I, why I'm took. asking the question. <laughs> I listened, um, but um, there, I didn't really give back. And so um, my husband was a little bit better about that than I was. Um, uh, and so it just, just was the right time. You know, sometimes there are different seasons and um, again, we, we took, and then it was time to give. Uh, I, my favorite book of the Bible is James and um, you know, James two working through that whole faith without works uh, is dead. And so it was time to have works, I guess, time to have fruit. So was there something in uh, that, that brought you to that point or did it, did it, was it just the Holy spirit working in your lives? I think it was just the Holy spirit working in our lives. It was just the right time. uh, And well, his perfect timing, I guess. Um, I I can't say that there was any one moment that I said, Oh yeah, we really need to, you know, start serving other than when we couldn't find places regularly to serve. um, It became part of life. And, and then ultimately um, God worked, showed us a, a, he opened a door and kind of pushed us through it, I guess. Okay. Well, so Everybody has, every Christian has the Bible, and James is in their Bible. <laughs> so, yes. So, um, but we still have a lot of people with James in their Bible who are bench warmers. So, yes. how, how, how would you suggest that we get people to, to take James seriously? <laughs> um, I guess just pressing in, you know, um, I listen to a lot of Christian music and I don't know if you know, uh, the artist Brandon Heath, but he has a phenomenal song. Um, and, and, uh, some of the words are, uh, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. And that to me is really a prayer. Well, since the very first time I heard it, I continually um, say it like a prayer. And so okay, I would encourage so, so, so that people can find that. Uh, who's the artist and what's His the name? His name's Brandon the song? Heath. Brandon, Brandon Heath. Heath. Yes. And Give Me Your Eyes is the name of the song. So with that, we can find it on the internet. 
Yes, right. absolutely. You can I am find not familiar with that, and I, I want to find that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'll follow up after this with you. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. Okay, well, tell us some more stories that will help us understand the impact of what God has called you and your family to do. Um, you know, there are a lot of causes for hunger, and we don't always um, think about them uh, until we're faced with it or even exposed to it. And so um, in this process, we've had to do that. Uh, we, um, For about seven and a half years, we were well invested in an in a, um, at-risk community, and we partnered in, with- In a what a community? At-risk, at-risk, okay. like yes. a high population of- um, low-income people. And so we partnered with a few different organizations. And once a month on a Saturday morning, we would host a food distribution. And um, uh, there was cat and dog food there, or just a variety of different things, medical assistance. And so we had an opportunity when you've been somewhere for seven and a half years, we had an opportunity to really meet these people. And we felt like we were there um, for the purpose of getting to know them, not just serving them food like it was transactional. Mm -hmm. It should be a relational. And so we met a lot of them. And one of them, uh, his name was um, Jimmy. And I would say he was in his 40s. And he had several different children, but he had like twin babies. They were maybe a year old. And then getting to know him, he was a very nice guy. Um, Lived in the apartment complex across from the school where we hosted this event. And he would walk over every Saturday um, that we hosted it and, you know, take food. And we would talk to him. We said, so what's your situation, you know, kind of thing. And he said that he had been in a very bad accident in his twenties and had a lot of physical issues. So he couldn't work a regular job. Um, But in order to put diapers on his twin babies, he would um, dumpster dive for aluminum cans. And I don't know if your listeners all know how hot it gets in Arizona and how bad trash smells. But to me, that's quite, uh, (laughs) quite something to do um, when you're, you know, needing money to dump it in jump in a dumpster um, to collect hands so that you can raise money. So in talking to him, yeah. So, you know, that's so, so really understanding some of these folks stories helps us so that we can know how to help them. So realizing that um, sometimes people um, need assistance in, in areas like food um, are because they've suffered an injury or they're unemployed or they're underemployed kind of thing. So in walking further with Jimmy, Um, we knew someone who owned a local McDonald's near there. And so we called him up and we said, Hey, Jimmy, um, we might have a, a, you know, a job opportunity for you. And he said, okay. And so we made an arrangement for him to go for the interview and we called him the next day and said, Hey, how'd it go? And he said, I didn't go. And we said, what do you you mean you didn't go? And he said, well, um, you know, he made a few excuses and, um, and then, then we finally met with him in person and asked why. And he basically admitted that he could not read. He said, I can't go to a job interview and fill out an application if I can't read. So wow. it, it, you know, clearly we thought, oh, well, this gentleman doesn't have a job because he, you know, has a, a physical disability yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Which right. Truth is it was much further than that. And I was really shocked by that. I, um, I guess I was naive enough to think that someone in their forties, we wouldn't have anyone in their forties that couldn't read. And clearly we could. So this is so crazy. I used social media and found a bunch of my friends that were teachers and uh, probably five of them stepped up to the plate and said, we'll teach them how to read. No problem. (laughs) 
And so again, transforming a person's life through what we thought was just, we're gonna serve our community, turns out to um, someone learning how to read and probably changing the trajectory of their entire family's lives by that experience. Wow, uh, a really important principle, I think that's coming out of our conversation today is, it's not just doing something for people, it's building a relationship with them. And in the context of that relationship, you really find a much deeper truth about that individual so that you really can help them in a way that makes a permanent difference in their lives. Absolutely. You have 30 seconds to tell those who are listening, how can they prepare their hearts to listen to what the Holy Spirit says about their being Jesus' hands and feet? 30 seconds. I would say um, get purposeful about being quiet at least once a day. And really listen to God. Ask him to open your eyes and your mind and your heart. Um, and then uh, be willing to follow him. Don't don't live in fear from it. Jump out and see what he's got for you because you'll just be incredibly blessed and amazed. Be quiet before God. Absolutely. Once a day. At least. Wow. Lisa, thank you so much for your It was my pleasure. Thank you. To, to be with us and... Um, May God use your testimony to encourage each of us who are listening and participating in this conversation to ask the Lord, Jesus, today, how can I be your hands and feet? God bless you. So you too. Much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.